Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Secret Sauce Podcast, where we open source the secret sauce. My name is Sam Sturm. I'm Chief Portfolio Officer and co-founder at Founders Factory Africa, and I have the pleasure of being your host for this episode. Today, I'm excited to welcome two powerhouse women to the show to chat with me. First, Karen Adier, founder and CEO of the agritech company Isidore, based in Lagos. Karen, how are you today? Hey, Sam. Pleasure to be here. Wonderful to have you. And also joining us from Lagos is my colleague at Founders Factory Africa, our talent acquisition lead, Lolade Odonsi. Lolade, how are you? Hi, Sam. I'm very well, thank you. Good. Wonderful. Thank you both for joining. Excited to chat. I'm really excited to dive into today's topic about talent, about people, about building teams. If anyone has seen my LinkedIn profile, it says we're perpetually hiring because we are perpetually hiring at Founders Factory Africa because our portfolio of ventures is perpetually hiring. And we believe so deeply in the power of, of people at FFA that this topic is is near and dear to my heart. You know, we think about a ventures, ta- a ventures success as inextractable from its its people and its people's success. So this is a, a topic that we think a lot about, that we that we talk a lot about, and excited to have you two here today. So while we'll focus on sort of the current talent market, how we think about talent at, at FFA as a founder, uh, how you think about building teams and what you look for in your teams, I think this 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 will be kind of where we focus our focus our talk and and hopefully where we where we can find some some interesting topics for, of questions. Before we begin, though, before we begin talking about people, before we start talking about talent, little warm up, little icebreaker, a lighthearted version of, of would you rather. So the rules are simple. I pitch you a scenario. You get two choices. You must choose one of one of the two options that I give you. You ready? So, so Lalade, we will start with you. Would you rather win $25,000 or have your best friend win 50000 Easy. My best friend should win $50,000. Because we've been friends for a long time, and I know we'll split it evenly. So at the end of the day, I'll still get my $25,000. And if she doesn't split it, I know where she lives. <laughs> I, was about, I was about to say, we're going we're, we're gonna to send this to her afterwards and, and find out. <laughs> Karen, you can only drink one for the rest of your life. Is it coffee or is it Coca-Cola? Definitely coffee. You can consume, you can con- you can consume nothing else. I'm so happy to only consume coffee for the rest of my life. Dare I say, like a typical a typical founder answer, just surviving surviving on coffee. Lolade, would you rather sing karaoke forever, or have karaoke sung to you forever? Oh God, please! I would rather sing karaoke. I can't bear to listen to other people, but I would happily <laughs> sing off key, off tone, and punish other people while feeling like a star of myself. So that's the obvious choice for me. Follow-up question: what, What's your go-to karaoke song? The Aerosmith song. Um, oh, good lord! <laughs> right in the middle of my, I've forgotten it. <laughs> I think you got to sing a bar too. That means <laughs> I could stay awake just to hear you. I breathing. knew it was that one. That's oh, okay. my go-to song. I, 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 did, I did too. That was, that was my guess. I also appreciate that as somebody, yeah. you know, you self-professed. You said, you know, off-key. You know, you really go for one that has a re- requires a real range. So I, I, I appreciate you going for it. This was not the planned question, Karen. Karen, what's your go-to karaoke song? Probably share. Do you believe love after life after love? Yeah, that one. Oh, all right. 
All right. I appreciate that. So, so <laughs> let us, let us get into it and, and thank you guys for, for playing along and uh, indulging me a little bit. In order to get started, Karen, I think it'd be, it'd be I'm really excited to get the, the CEO and the founder point of view on, on team building from you. But before we start, can you talk a little bit about, just so the audience knows, Isidore, what it is you're building and, and the problems you're trying to solve you and your team are, are, are tackling? Isidore is a social enterprise that's using technology to solve problems of food security and food quality in Nigeria. So our main product is our B2B marketplace, which connects buyers and sellers of agro-commodities, fresh produce, extension services, financing, and everything that's required to basically run an agribusiness on a single platform. So we're ultimately trying to solve for a lot of the inefficiencies in the supply chain, some of which are logistics, infrastructure, warehousing, and so on, by connecting everybody who's a value provider or a service provider um, using technology to add value to their businesses. So that's what we do in a nutshell. And then talk a little bit about the team, again, with it thinking thinking on this talent topic, on this people topic. Can you talk a little bit about the team you've built so far? Yeah, so it's interesting because when we started out, we've sort of had a pivot in our model. We started off initially as a financing business for the agri sector. And so building out that team required a lot of, I'd say, more of operational staff. So the biggest department in the company has always been operations, whether it's the agents on the field who are responsible for verifying the commodities or performing quality assessment checks on the produce, basically a lot of field staff. And I mean, as a first-time founder, one of the things I did in the first three months was find more of like middle management staff and below. Looking at it a year on, because we've been in operation for over a year now, I'd say that was the wrong approach, right? Something that I changed towards the end of last year was looking to hire the management staff first. And the reason why like the inverse works is there's a lot to contend with when you're starting a startup, right? And you usually, usually have limited resources in terms of capital and you can't always be everywhere at once, especially for agric where there is a lack of technology adoption generally in the sector and Nigeria makes that, compounds that problem even more because of poor transport and so on and so forth. So needing to have the talent on the ground doing or doing the operational work in an efficient manner was something that we struggled with and introducing the higher or senior management staff changed the way that we were performing because these are people who came with experience from the agri sector, the supply chain, efficiency and operations. And so they were able to add value, like 10x value versus someone who is operating, who is hired as an associate or that sort of level, right? So that's something that very early on, I would say, definitely impacted speed at which we were able to grow. Till today, we have, I mean, we have more teams, there's the engineering team, finance, product, and that sort of, those sort of splits across the company, but operations still is responsible for the bulk of, of our headcount. There are two things you said that I think are really interesting. We see we see it at FFA and I've seen, you know, with dozens and dozens of founders, and I'm curious your take on it, Karen. There's this idea that hiring other leadership or management will create kind of bloat 
right? And you'll have a, a bloated organization, right? And you'll have a lot of middle management or a lot of leadership and not and and be lacking then on execution. And I would, I would love your point of view on how you've how, how you think about that, how you balance the need for people who know what they're doing, who are senior, who come with that experience with the need to maintain, maintain runway with limited resources and maintain agility, right? You can't, you're not at a place as an organization yet where you can have layer after layer after layer of, of, you know, reporting and accountability and management. So I'm curious how you've thought about balancing that and kind of what you look for in the people you're hiring as a result. I mean, I understand the problem that you're illustrating. One thing that I'd say is, is it's more than just hiring senior staff for the sake of hiring people who have experience. You need to be able to distill down what qualities or the, the characters that you're looking for in those roles of senior management would be. And the top priority for me was people who have experience in other startups. I mean, you could find people with industry experience 10, 20 years or longer, but they've worked in only enterprises or very large companies. And so it's a mismatch if you try to bring them into a startup because, I mean, they're probably used to the ways of doing things in large companies, which are significantly different from the startups. So one way to balance seniority well, at an early stage is having people who have experience in startups, right? So that was something that I, I definitely like put as a very high priority in hiring senior staff. Sounds to me... Like it's like it's as much cultural as every as anything, right? It's a, a a bias toward execution, so that even senior people understand how that, you know, what what expectations are for operations. Now, I'm curious, Lalade, if you could you could speak to that as well, you know, in your role helping to support our founders, both to identify talent, to build the best teams possible, to manage their talent. I'm curious, you know, if you can speak to to that approach that Karen articulated, the need for people who sort of understand the environment and and operating in that context? So I absolutely agree with Karen. And I usually advise um, founders uh, in my role as human as a human resources expert to find people who are in either small organizations or in much larger startups who are at that cusp where they have spent a lot of time in middle management and are just looking for a more strategic role as a senior manager or as an executive manager. Those are the people who will most likely be the right fit for these senior management roles that early stage startups like Karen's company are looking for. They would fit right in because they understand how the operations work and they also have an idea of how to develop a strategy that would be useful for the business. And can you talk a little bit more about that, Lolade? So, I mean, in your pre FFA life, you've you know led hiring of hundreds and hundreds of of staff across across the continent, right? And you've helped teams to to scale up. I'm curious how how you think about that process of of identifying talent that's at that cusp, right? I think it's easier said than done. So I'm I'm curious how you think about how to find that right shaped person. Well, it's not easy, I'll tell you, and it involves a lot of headhunting. So what I will typically do is go identifying companies that are in the same industry or in a similar industry, or even if it's a different industry who have the same skill set. And that's why the current trend, I will speak to that later, is how hiring is now moving away from role matching to skill matching. We're looking for people who have the skills that we're looking for in terms of operational skill, in terms of um, strategy development skills, in terms of 
building and executing a plan in terms of managing a team to drive results. So looking for those people is a Herculean task, especially if we're trying to find talents that are able to fit into that role. Sometimes we have to go cross-border to find people in, in, in other countries, as the case may be. But at the end of the day, you have the people who are able to drive operation and who can also move fluidly into operational roles, as the case may be. Because you find that in some cases, if you decide to go coach a senior manager from a large organization or a large corporate organization, they may not be able to be fluid enough to move into an operational role. They will be very reluctant to get their hands dirty to execute tasks. But these people that we've already identified, it's easy for them to move into that role, even if it's temporarily, to execute those tasks that you're looking for. One of the ways in which to identify these kinds of people is to check for the years of experience, the years in which they have worked in that capacity, either in the same industry or another industry that is similar, identify, see how many years have they worked in that role, if there's any progression, and if there's a desire to move into a more strategic role. Because sometimes you do find people who are very comfortable in that operational role, and they really have no desire to take a step further into the unknown. So those are not people that we're looking for. We're looking for people who are adventurous enough, who are willing to take a risk, um, who are flexible enough to want to work with early stage startups or even continue to work in the startup industry. And yeah, those are, those are the people who would make great leaders because you know, they're, they're willing to take risks that nobody else would want to take. I think that's, that's, that's really, that's great advice. What Lolade described makes a lot of sense to me, but it is also, she described a Herculean effort. And as a founder, you have you know an un, untold number of priorities. Building a team is obviously high among them, but it's not the only one. You don't have the bandwidth or the resources, you know, necessarily to do the most extensive search or the deepest dive. Sometimes you need to hire quickly. I'm curious how you think about this process of building a team in a way that does justice to the organization and the role, but also recognizes the need to move move at speed, maintain momentum. So the short answer is there's no easy way, right? I think a lot of this is trial and error, has been trial and error. There are all the things that you can do at the sourcing or what's it called? Sourcing and vetting stage, if you like, whether it's checking references or having referrals, right, for people or companies who, whom you trust and also being able to assess the candidates thoroughly. I'm not sure there's, there's a way to really do a complete 100% assessment before they start the job. So, so that's something on its own. But what I tried to do is, it's a combination of gut feeling and checking the boxes, right? There are people who have checked the boxes in the past in terms of what the role requires on paper. But at the end of the day, I just feel like they wouldn't be successful at it. And it probably stems from their character or the, the way in which, I mean... I, I'm of the opinion that for operational roles, one needs a certain amount of drive, enthusiasm, and so on, right? If I assess a candidate who, on paper, has all of the requirements according to the, the JD, the technical specifics, right? And then I have an interaction with them and I don't sense that level of enthusiasm or drive that's required to motivate the teams on the field, I'm probably not going to proceed with the candidates because I've seen 
firsthand where if the character doesn't necessarily match the competencies, it, it still wouldn't work out, right? But ultimately, if I'm stuck at a point where I can't decide whether the character is right and the competencies do line up, I'd give it a trial period, you know, roll the dice, let them come in. I think a month, in startup lingo, right, a month is a very long time. I mean, it's a long enough time for somebody to prove whether they would be a fit for a role or not, right? And I've had scenarios where there's been a one-month trial period and they've either exceeded my expectations or they haven't necessarily swam, right? It's like sink or swim. And so it hasn't worked out. So there's no, there's no hard and fast rule. I think a lot of it is trial and error. And I would say, don't underestimate your gut feeling because most times it's right. Just spoken like a true founder. I appreciate that. I'm curious, Lolale, from your point of view, um, and this is to take us sort of out of the, the generalized thinking about building teams and finding talent and more about sort of the state, <laughs> the state of the world as it is today, particularly the talent market, tech companies, the larger tech companies, the scale-ups globally are obviously shedding roles and shedding positions. Startup funding ecosystem is drying up the degree to which, you know, depends. And as a result, you have startups shutting down globally. And, and Africa has luckily been spared the brunt of this thus far. But, but we'll see what happens. You know, as a result, I'm, you know, we've, we've been speaking, you know, in this world for the last few years about a real, you know, war for talent. Do you see that abating as like some of the as some of the bigger firms lay people off and there are more more available people, do you see it as a market that's like really good for people like Karen and, and founders who are looking for you know talented people, experienced people? I'm curious your sense just in, in the moment that we are in today being what April April sixth, twenty twenty three. You know what is your take on on what's going on right now and what it means for for founders and for for startups? So in terms of the number of people losing their jobs. And unfortunately, African startups haven't been spared this. We have a number of startups who've either shut down, laid off a number of their staff. So we have a lot of talent floating around looking for jobs, looking for another place to anchor and rebuild their careers again. And you will think that just because we have more available people means that you know the, the life of a, the work of a recruiter is easier. But unfortunately, it's not. And I'll tell you why. So... Yes, we have more available people applying for jobs, but local jobs and cross-border jobs. But at the same time, many of these candidates, many of these available talents are not really in touch with the realities of the situation. In the, a recent publication by our venture sourcing lead, Ayobami Beitariba, he calls it the great reset. Um, so we have inflation coming in. We have a lot of unavailable cash of, in the economy. And some of our talents are asking for really high salaries, which our startups are unable to afford because that is where they're coming from. And there's that mismatch between the expectations in terms of salaries and compensation and what the startups that are hiring can afford to pay. So there's that mismatch, um, which makes it very difficult to match talent to jobs. Another issue that we're currently facing is that over the past couple of months, because there has been a, like you call it, a dry up of cash, in startup founders are now critically looking at the type of talent that they're hiring. They're paying more attention to who they're hiring, at how, at what cost, and if talent is a good fit for the organization, not just for current roles, but also for potential pivots 
in the future. So I won't even call it a war for talent anymore. Rather, I'll call it a war for skills because we're looking for transferable skills that an employee can utilize in the organization. Many employers now, more than ever, they're now critically assessing not just the role match, but also the skills match because companies are looking for candidates who are fluid enough to operate in multiple roles. I call them utility players because sometimes the organization, because of the current climate that we find ourselves, may need to pivot immediately and they need employees who are willing and able to pivot in their roles to something else in order to ensure that the organization is sustained. That's really interesting. I think that, that skills match versus, versus role match sort of approach is, is interesting and certainly, again, resonates with me when I think about how we've built. I think the other piece, Karen, that this makes you think about is is the recognition that role match becomes even harder when you are a startup and you are creating something new. The the roles that you are looking to fill may not actually exist at, you know, for, forget large corporates or some of the big scale-ups. They may not even exist at other at other startups, right? When you are building something innovative, there might not be a corollary elsewhere. So I'm, I'm curious how you think about that, that kind of skill match. You spoke previously about you know, people who can execute being the first, the, the first and most important thing. But I'm, I'm curious if you're seeing that in the market now as well, the way that, that Lolade talks about it. I mean, if I look at my team, for instance, I don't think I've, we've had anyone who isn't open to change or rather isn't open to the idea that they're, what they're doing on a daily basis or on a weekly basis is is going to look completely different three weeks from now, four weeks from now. Basically, like we've been operating on steroids and the ability of my team to really take that on board and run with whatever we're faced with, whether it's pivoting, whether it's, you know, tweaking our model or changing our products and so on and so forth, right? That's one thing that, I mean, they're high up there in terms of having that ability. I agree with skills. I wonder if skills in this sense also includes non-technical skills, basically. So, but it also speaks to character for me, right? Maybe there's a there's a composition of character that can be attributed to skills. But yeah, I I definitely agree because one thing with not just technology but also the agri sector in Nigeria, which we're trying to ultimately overhaul the way in which it works by adding technology to it requires you to be so resilient because you're you're trying to change the way people do things not necessarily changing their behaviors but improving their behaviors using technology so being flexible and adaptable not just as a company but for, on an employee level is top i mean top 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 of my list when assessing candidates i th- i think that's that's so interesting the idea particularly in the sector you're in Right, the the kind of ch- the kind of change that you are trying to encourage in the world that you're trying to create is sort of so different from what currently exists. You know, how, how do you assess resilience? How do you how do you how do you assess it when looking at a, a a CV even or a resume? Like, what 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 are you what are you looking for that tells you that, Karen? I mean, maybe there are a few instances in which you can assess resilience on a resume, but that's very very difficult. Perhaps if there were specific projects that the candidates had worked on and you can you can see both indication indicators of success and failure which is something that i actually ask in interviews regardless of who i'm speaking to i mean i want you to be able to demonstrate that you've had both successes and failures and what have you learned from those different sort of experiences and your ability to you know continue or ride the wave so that would be my way of assessing 
But I mean, it's it's a different thing entirely when you're on the job, right? <laughs> Nigeria and like the the agri industry just like sets out to like frustrate you on a daily basis. <laughs> 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 is is the, is that why I get those those WhatsApps from you? <laughs> yeah. Good, a good example would be with with the recent, the past months. You know, there's been a lot of cash policy, electrons, and so on and so forth. Farmers wanting to only receive cash payments and and them hoarding the goods as a result of transfers not working. I mean, the story goes on and on and on. You know, it would be difficult to say that my team weren't resilient for the fact that we made it through the last two months. Right, the things that are, I mean, this this same group of customers if you like comparing their behavior last sometime last year to now is completely different uh, you have to be able to you know ride the waves and keep up with what the demand is especially if you're you're driving change right and so i think that really speaks more to character than anything some of the people who have the most years of experience on my team have never seen anything like what we're dealing with as a company today and still, they're able to overcome those challenges. So regardless of what my assessment may have been for them at the interview stage, I think they would agree that it's a different picture when speaking to resilience on the job. That's really interesting. And something, something you said really resonated with me, Karen, which is the idea that so many ventures, particularly across the continent, particularly in our portfolio, are, you know, they, they, they are startups. They work like startups. They operate like startups. They are agile. They are innovative. And the culture necessary to be successful as a startup is often so at odds with the industry in which they are, in which they're working, right? You mentioned agric and, and, you know, sort of the entrenched ways of doing things and hierarchies and ecosystem and value chains in, in ag are so at odds with, with sort of a startup culture. And so finding people who can bridge that gap incredibly important and i imagine very hard and, and that goes for a number of our of our ventures you know i think about startups in 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 shipping and logistics right i think about startups many of them in in kind of entrenched healthcare ecosystems how how hard it is to marry and, and find people who can speak across that culturally and so i i think that idea of, of focusing on culture and resilience and agility is, is really resonant i appreciate that lolada I, I guess on that on that same thing then you know, when, when you think about, you know, the work you do in, in supporting ventures, not just in finding great talent, but in managing talent, right? In, in managing the, the, their, their people and managing an organization and, and building it. How do you help them think about, you know, building and, and maintaining a, a culture that keeps people accountable, but, it, but, but also sort of, I guess, drives this, this resilience? So it really starts from the recruitment process. And that's where we, I encourage founders to pay attention to recruitment. And I'm glad that in this current climate, founders are now paying attention to recruitment. Before it was left in the hands of the hiring manager or middle manager or just HR to just bring people in. We don't really care who comes in as long as you fill the quota. But now founders are actively taking an interest and actively participating in the recruitment process. Because if you don't find the right people, whatever culture you're trying to build would be dead on arrival. You, you really can't tell if the person that you're recruiting is the right fit or not. It's a roll of the dice. You may have someone with the right skills, with the right qualifications, with the right experience, with the right attitude and drive, 
and the role is still not a good fit at the end of the day. It's a, we've done our best. Let's hope for the best or prepare for the worst. Now, in terms of culture, I always encourage founders to, right from the get-go, start building a good performance management system. It doesn't have to be an elaborate system with um, tech or with spreadsheets, but they need to start inculcating an attitude of focus on performance. And this is important right from the get-go. As soon as the employees, the new hires come on board, what should be at the, at the back of their mind should be, we are here to deliver results. We're here to drive growth. We're here to you know, deliver on what we've promised. And this would help to ensure that everyone is focused on the same goal. What we don't want is a situation whereby we have people who come into the organization expecting, you know, yeah, we're a startup. Let's, you know, drink tea and play football in the, in the lounge and, you know, play video games because that's what we see on TV, the startup culture. No, this is a business that we're trying to build from, from scratch. This is a business that we're trying to build from ground zero. So inculcating a performance management system and a performance accountable system and having everybody on board with that is very important right from the get-go. Karen, cur- curious your thoughts on, on, on that again, doing it well takes time how, how how do you how do you implement something like that as a founder how do you actually bring something like that to life no i mean i completely agree with lonadi's point on the fact that performance management starts from the recruitment process right and i think also taking accountability i mean there's different ways to sort of different methodologies um, and different systems used for tracking performance management. But I'm I'm of the school of thought that if you embed it into the individual's accountability, in other words, you're asking them to rate themselves or do some kind of self-assessment and reporting as well, it then becomes immediately obvious when they're deviating from what is expected. And it's also a good way to figure out how to bridge that gap, right? So as opposed to me telling you, well, this is what I think of your performance. This is how, I mean, prescribing a laundry list of things that could have been done um, better or worse. It's more, I find it more useful, more intuitive for that to come from the individual. And obviously in a scenario where the individual is unable to do that, I mean, that already speaks volumes about their performance, right? So that's my approach anyway. What happens when that doesn't work? I imagine, that I get, and I ask because I imagine there are times where somebody says, oh, I'm doing a great job. And you're like, no. Okay, maybe, maybe I should <laughs> clarify. There may be, there's self, there's self-assessment maybe deviates. Maybe I should clarify what the <laughs> from, from, from your, from your assessment. No, no, no. I mean, self-assessment isn't just having them speak about how they're, it's like, like having a conversation it's actually built around systems that require you to be specific, requires them to be measurable. So I'm, I'm talking about OKRs, for instance, right? And because you have that, you have a baseline for measurements, you're either increasing, decreasing, or you I mean, there's a target, right? It's really easy to ascertain whether you're you're deviating from the target or not. So that's what I mean when I'm when I refer to self-assessment. Not necessarily like a a one-on-one conversation where they make blank statements about how they think their performance is. But I'm saying using the systems or whatever 
metrics that the company uses from the individual's perspective. So every single person in my company has their OKRs, right? And from the very first day you join, you have to draft your OKRs. I mean, even thinking about how to set your OKRs forces you to think about how you're going to perform, right? And that's the easiest way, especially for remote companies, because if we're talking performance in a company where, you know, everyone comes into the office every single day and, like, there's lots of physical contact, there are probably different ways that you could go about measuring. But we're fully remote, so it's also harder for me to really see somebody working right so we have to rely on a lot of what the person says they're doing or or what their output is and i think output is very closely tied to what was set at the beginning as the result regardless right so if it comes from the individual then it's easier for you to track and for them to have accountability as opposed to it coming from say a line manager who isn't necessarily respond directly responsible for the outputs if that makes sense it makes a lot of sense. And and you, you mentioned something that we hadn't touched on, but I think is, is super relevant, is this idea of, of being remote and the implications of that, the implications of that on managing a team, the implications of that on building culture, you know, full transparency. It's something I certainly struggle with in a world that has become more remote. I mean, we are a global company, and so necessarily we have, you know, team all over at Founders Factory Africa, but... You know, I'm a very relational leader, and I, I definitely struggle with building and managing a team that is that is as remote as it is because I, I miss those sort of that touch point and some of the frictions that come with that touch point. But I think there's there's a lot that happens there. I'm curious, Lolata, you you sort of alluded to it before, but as we think about a global workforce and 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 a move towards more remote teams, I'm curious you know, your thoughts on, on what Karen spoke to, which is, you know, some of the challenges of managing managing a team and building culture in a, in a company that is, if not, you know, remote first, that, you know, works in a hybrid manner. So I would always encourage founders to ensure that there is constant engagement between them and their reports. And this is in the case of a small team. Now, in the case of a much larger team, the where there's a middle management level, I would encourage a lot of engagement between the lower, the junior man, the junior teams, the middle management level, and the senior management level. So, case in point, given that Karen has teams spread all over Nigeria, for instance, even if it's a small team, I would encourage maybe daily stand-ups, for instance. I would encourage weekly check-ins with the team, and in this weekly check-ins would have the performance reviews. And I love the OKR as a tool because it's a way the, the individual is responsible for keeping track of the activities and for tracking the performance in line with the company's objectives. So those weekly check-ins are a way for the individual to be accountable, to say, this is what I did this week, this is what I've achieved, and this is what I plan to do next week. Those daily check-ins are also a way for the individual to also be accountable to say, this is what I did yesterday, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow in line with my weekly objectives, in line with my weekly targets, which will also tie into the company's overall annual or monthly goals. So the OKRs are a great tool, especially with startups that are prone to pivoting really quickly so that they, the individuals can easily shift and change what their, what their objectives are in line with what the new company goals are. And regardless of whether it's a hybrid team or whether it's a remote team, 
that constant engagement is really important. So open lines of communication are critical. Having the team meetings, very important. I always encourage there must be multiple touch points between an employee and the manager and the founder so that those open lines of communication will ensure that whatever information is coming top down, bottom up is easily accessible by all. I, pr- I appreciate that. I think that, that communication and, and making sure you're radiating information is something we, we think about and talk about a lot and something that I think we, we've seen Lalade really differentiates strong founders and strong teams from average founders and average teams is the ability to radiate that information because it creates alignment, right? And because it creates momentum. So so I, I take that on. I'm a big believer in, in Founders Factory Africa. We are a big believer in, in the idea that you know, businesses are really at the end of the day, at the end of the day, businesses are a collection of people. Right? That that's it. Businesses are a collection of people who are organized to solve a problem. And it therefore follows that the best businesses and the best organizations are those that have and make the best use of the best people. And so I'm I'm curious a little bit, Karen, how, how you think about creating an environment that that is conducive to being, you know, we use the term people first, but 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 how do you how do you think about that? How do you think about again on your laundry list as a founder of things that you have to do? You know, how do you think about that aspect of management, making creating a place that really does bring out the best, bring out the best in in people? I mean, the business is only as good as the people that are in it, right? And I think ultimately, everything, whether it's information or capacity or capability, needs to flow down from top to bottom, right? So I always say to my my managers, I mean. Each of them individually needs to be better than I am for the departments in which they are managing, if that makes sense. So in line with that, I also think in terms of making a or creating a people-first workplace, one of the first things for us and for myself personally is to lead by example. So what some of the values that we have as a company are respect, communication, and accountability and so being able to show that from the very top level being respectful to whoever it is whether it's senior management junior management down to the employees at the lowest level of the company communicating so that's two-way communication it's not just flowing from the top to the bottom but also coming from the bottom or from the middle or from wherever is very important and then accountability which means well i own this i'm responsible for it and whether it's whether it's gone right or it's gone wrong, having the ability to speak up or to take ownership of that is very important as well. So I think it needs to start from the founders and flow through. I think a lot of people are watching, a lot of people in the company are watching or looking up to their management team or whoever's above them in terms of leading by example. And I think that's how you you craft out a people first company. As I said, I think, you know, one of our beliefs, our core beliefs at Founders Factory Africa is that this is what differentiates great businesses from from their competition. It is their people. And so 
I agree with whatever <laughs> just was said like a hundred times. And so nobody said anything controversial. So there's no, like, no, not, not enough friction for, you know, a, vi a viral, a viral confrontational moment. So I, I apologize that we're also, that we're also aligned. Makes for good business and maybe less, less exciting listening. But I really do, Lolade, really appreciate you bringing your expertise and experience and perspective from, you know, working with, with, dozens and dozens of, of founders and Karen uh, appreciate you taking time out of what I know is an incredibly busy schedule and sharing with sharing with us and, and everybody kind of how how these ideas are being put into practice on a on a daily basis at, at, at Isidore so thank you guys for joining us and to everybody who who joined us to listen thank you very much and this has been great so anybody else out there we'd like to know about kind of your own journey in the talent market we at FFA have a portfolio of you know, 57 ventures, always building incredible teams, looking for people, looking for talent, join them. We are always looking for, for founders who want to engage. And, and this is just the beginning of, of the conversation. So please get in touch with us at Founders Factory Africa. Find us on the internets, hashtag secret sauce at Founders Factory Africa. We want to continue this conversation and, and we want to hear what you have to say. So Thank you very much, and uh, we'll catch you on our next episode. Have a great one, everybody.